High school stage play is more polished than this service we've been rehearsing since the year one. In 2,000 years, we have not worked out the kinks. We positively glorify them. Week after week, we witness the same miracle, that God is so mighty, he can stifle his own laughter. Week after week, we witness the same miracle, that God, for reasons unfathomable, refrains from blowing our dancing bear act to smithereens. Week after week, Christ washes the disciples' dirty feet, handles their very toes, and repeats, It's all right, believe it or not, to be people. Who can believe it? Learned from teaching a stone to talk. Uh, yeah, mm, uh, well, this is uh, the shut-in edition of House of Mercy. You know, uh, growing up, my dad's a Baptist minister. I'd always go visit the shut-ins, bring him communion. And uh, sometimes I would go with him. And I always liked uh, going to visit the shut-ins. But uh, at House of Mercy, we just don't have too many shut-ins. So I can kind of, you know, uh, relishing the all-shut-in congregation we have. Um, but uh, yes, of course, this is in... Oh, caution, and I hope you are all well. So welcome to this uh, shut-in edition of, of the House of Mercy. And uh, in all seriousness, if you do want me to bring you communion, just uh, email me or text me or call me, russell at houseofmercy.org, 651-283-9758, and I will come to your house and bring you communion. And I, you know, I'll wear a mask if you want, or you can wear a mask. Wait, it'd be hard to take the communion if you were wearing a mask. Well, we'll just each wear whatever. Um, but yeah, be happy to bring it to you. So uh, what else are other announcements do we have? Uh, Debbie is still out of town, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, it matters in that we care about her, but we're all out of town in the Lord's eyes. Um, okay, and let's see what else. Oh, you know what? In these times, in these troubled times when nobody's uh, coming to the church, you know, um, please remember to uh, give us money. Um, yeah, you can uh, give online or as you normally do or send a check into the church. And we really appreciate it because, uh, well, I know that this whole 
pandemic is affecting a lot of people financially. Uh, so let's remember them. Let's be grateful what we have and continue to support the church. All right. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Won't you please rise and join us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 43. We'll understand it by and by. Apocalyptic Praise Song, Part 1. I don't want to scare anyone. I just want to get this down. I feel like somewhere someone told me to write what I've been shown. Shown? I don't even know how I know what I know. I don't know if it was a dream I had and can't remember, or if it was a dream someone else had and forgot. All I know is that it was all about the song. Everybody was supposed to sing the song, but I don't think anybody did. Well, some people might have tried to, but they couldn't convince themselves enough that the world had ended, so they just tried to sing it and then stopped. In this dream, or vision, is it too much to say vision? It seems like a vision. Vision is too much, I'll say dream. In this dream, it was the end of the world. Well, it might have been the end of the world, or at least it was supposed to be. Everyone wanted it to be over, but it just wasn't, and it put everyone in a bad mood. I know this sounds weird. I'll just tell you what I saw as I was standing in the rain at night in the middle of the street. Maybe it wasn't raining. It must have been more like a light sleet, because I wasn't getting soaked, but it made me squint. Anyway, I looked up the street and down the street and in both directions, I saw strip malls, one per block, the same on each side of the street, identical and repeating, block after block. They were set back from the street, with plenty of parking in front. They each contained what looked to be an off-brand convenience store, 
and a video store with a huge sign in the window that said, all the latest titles, all the time, no waiting. And another one said, can't decide, let us choose for you. Next to the video store was a dry cleaner, then a computer store, and then a bookstore. We're standing in the rain, or this light sleet, in the middle of the street. He's looking one way, and I'm looking the other. Then I look one way, and he looks the other. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, there's this guy in this part. You know how in dreams, you know, how they are? Sometimes he's there, and sometimes it's just me. So I'm standing there, and I'm watching, up and down, block, as far as I can see, cars are pulling into the strip malls, and people are going into all the stores. All of these places are doing a brisk business. Cars going in and out of the parking lots, people going in and out of every store on every block. As we continue to watch, I notice something odd. I see someone walk into the video store with an armload of dirty shirts. He drops them off and comes out with his dry cleaning ticket. Then I see someone else come out of the video store with her dry cleaning. And then someone goes in, then comes out of the convenience store with a bag from the bookstore. Another person comes out of the computer store with a carton of milk. The stores people went into seemed to be a random decision dictated, as far as I could tell, by whatever store was closest to where they parked. Then I noticed that every store had the same sticker on the door announcing that they were a C4 store. C4? The guy just looked at me. C4? I don't know, I said. He tapped me on the shoulder and pointed up to the big lighted sign in the corner of the parking lot. I looked down the street and for the first time saw the sign on every strip mall on every block brightly lit and turning slowly. C4! Contemporary Christian Convenience Center. It was only then that I became aware of the traffic whipping by me in both directions, barely missing me, cars throwing off light sleet from their big tires. I was starting to have trouble catching my breath. I couldn't really swallow. Contemporary Christian Convenience Center? Then I saw it. That wasn't a real bookstore. It was a Christian bookstore. I could see the bestseller list posted in the window with a headline over it reading, Number one, 14 years in a row, what would Jesus do? The video game. The dry cleaner was called White as Snow. Every car in the parking lot was the same, huge sports utility vehicle with the fish symbol on the back. I heard tires screeching and an old minivan slammed to a stop right in front of us. The door slid open, two people grabbed me, threw me inside and sped away. The next thing I remember, we were parked in the parking lot of an abandoned convenience store on a side street. And I'm sitting on the curb in front of the store. Two guys are sitting on either side of me and a couple of other people are pacing back and forth. One of them, a woman, stops and shoves the piece of paper in my face. Have you ever seen this before? It is a piece of paper with the song on it. I could tell by the way the letters were distorted that it had been photocopied over and over again. I told her I never had, because even though I did know what it was, I only knew in a dream sort of way, not in a real way. What's going on? I started to say. This is all so weird. Then they told me what was going on. This next part? I don't think it's part of the dream.
You see, things had gone quite well for the contemporary Christians. Their message had been nearly universally accepted. And what was once referred to as American culture was now commonly known as contemporary Christian culture. What was once seen as Western capitalism was now known as contemporary Christian capitalism. The markets thrived, the economy thrived, every kind of thing that could thrive, thrived. You could get anything you wanted at a local C4 store. It was so convenient, and it was helping other people when you bought things. It wasn't even called buying anymore. It was called a praise exchange, because everybody was just so happy to have been blessed with so much. And, there were all, and they were all so happy to be getting more. Everyone was, as they like to say, of one accord. Everything was so peaceful. Things were so nice and convenient. It was a good, comfortable life. Everyone had been working together on the commission. You know, the Great Commission, the one from the end of Matthew's Gospel. Everyone just referred to it as the commission. It was overseen by the commission commission. People would say to one another in the break room at work, have you heard how the commission is going this week? Or did you see the commission on Oprah yesterday? Or did you hear the commission finished up in Micronesia? You see, Matthew's great commission commanded the followers of Jesus to go to all the world baptizing and making disciples. The commission commission understood this to mean that the contemporary Christians must present the plan of salvation to every last person on earth. Every last person on earth did not have to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They only had to have been presented with the plan of salvation. When every last person on earth had heard the four spiritual laws, the Roman road, the glory guide, then Jesus would return. The end of the age would be upon us. The end of the world as we know it, Jesus would return on a cloud. As the reports grew more and more favorable, it became clear that in the not too distant future, the commission was going to be complete. I mean, if you want something done, ask a contemporary Christian. You want to talk about control and organization, the whole culture was type A. Not only did they get things done, but they were thoughtful. So they started thinking, you know, if the end of the world is coming and Jesus is going to return, don't you think it would be nice to welcome him somehow? You know, make him feel comfortable? Inspired by this goodwill, the Commission Commission commissioned a song, a praise song, for everyone to sing. The idea was that after the last person had received heaven's handshake, heard the sinner's serenade, and the commission was complete, everyone throughout the world would simultaneously sing this praise song, and that would be Jesus' cue to return. But things didn't work out the way the commission planned. When the last person on earth had heard the glory guide, there was a big announcement, so everyone knew that the last person had been witnessed to. Really, if everyone was being honest and following the rules, the song should have been sung. People started singing, but, well, frankly stated, Jesus did not return, so they just kind of stopped. This is the great apocalypse? The sound of a praise song petering out? Where was the last trumpet sound? The peals of thunder? In some sectors, the song was started with bravado, and in others, with the enthusiasm of an embarrassed kid being forced to play her violin for visitors. When they sang, everyone was looking, but no one saw a thing. Looking up, no hail mixed with fire. Looking down, 
No earth opening up and swallowing the evildoers, looking around. No beast with a mortal wound that had healed. No seven-headed monster, not even a two-headed calf or a lobster boy. The whole thing lost steam. Throughout the world, there was only mumbling, then just feet shuffling and the occasional of a throat. What happened? One could only think, A, we miss some people. There was the debate about whether statistical sampling was more accurate or whether an actual count should be used. Or B, God left us hanging? Or C, we told everyone the wrong thing. We somehow messed up the good news. All that witnessing and people had unashamedly been proclaiming the wrong thing. Whatever speculations the contemporary Christians might have been making, the people who kidnapped us in the minivan and brought us to the abandoned convenience store said that the world didn't end because when the contemporary Christians were out boldly proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, they were proclaiming the wrong thing. And all you had to do was compare the commission's contemporary Christian proclamation pamphlet with what it actually says in the Bible and you would see. I told them they were wrong, that they were liars, and probably would not know the good news if, if they were beaten with it. I grabbed up the photocopy of the song they showed me, and we made a break for it. The guy who was with me saw that the keys were in the minivan and jumped in the driver's seat. I jumped in the side door, and we took off. I told him to drive to the nearest, biggest church he could find, and we would get to the bottom of this. So. I'm in the back of the old minivan, rolling around with every turn and swerve because there are no seats in the back, and the guy is driving really fast, which I told him to do, but he seems like he would be a bad driver even if he were going slow. This guy, he doesn't say much, and when he does, it doesn't make much sense. Really, he seems like kind of an idiot, but he smiles like he seems happy, which given the situation makes him seem like more of an idiot. He turns a corner, hits the curb. I roll and catch my right ear on the door handle. I call him an idiot. He smiles and says his name is John. I don't know. I don't know how idiot John came to be with me in my vision, dream thing, and even he is an idiot. Even though he is an idiot, I'm glad to have him along. It's nice to have company in a vision of the end of the world. We see what looks like a giant shopping mall off in the distance. I tell idiot John to head for it. That is what we are looking for. As we approach, there is a sign directing us various places under the name in clean but progressive looking idealized letters. Praise Wind, Contemporary Christian Campus Center. Arrows point in different directions to the cafe, bookstore, stables. Stables? It's, a hard, it's hard to read as we fly by so quickly. We obviously made a wrong turn, followed the wrong arrow. I figured we should go directly to the church where they actually had church services, but it was hard to tell from the sign where that was. And we end up around the back of the enormous complex by all the dumpsters. We had followed a sign that said service entrance. It was an easy mistake. Without slowing down, idiot John makes a U-turn back to the main entrance, and we followed another arrow and slammed into a stop in the only empty space among acres of cars. I got out and stood on the bumper of the minivan to see if I could spot the actual part of the church campus center thing where the church was. A sign on a light pole 
indicated that we were in the Jude section of the parking lot, so the church had to be a ways away. A black SUV appeared out of nowhere and parked crossways behind us. A professional sports player-sized man stepped quickly from the driver's side. You know the kind of professional sports guy who became a born-again contemporary Christian and then started to suck at his professional sport? He stood there solidly and smiled pleasantly. I jumped down off the bumper. Idiot John stuck his head out the window and smiled at the professional sports guy. He seems very friendly, wearing a dark suit with a kind of badge on the breast pocket that says, Usher. He begins to speak to us in a very friendly, casual way, explaining that he would have to detain us while he runs a security check on our police records. I thought at church we could figure everything out, but the minivan, it was our downfall. The professional sports guy said the minivan is a problem because nobody drives them anymore but poor people and criminals. This is what he said. Apparently, he explained as he pulled Idiot John out of the van, back in the 1990s, so many people bought minivans and then a couple of years later replaced them with brand new sports utility vehicles. Suddenly, there were all these practically brand new minivans on the market. And within a short few months, there were so many that not only could you not sell them, you could not even give them away. This whole time, he's twisting our arms behind our backs and putting us in the back, caged part of this huge SUV. He's talking calmly, even pleasantly. We thought, he went on, since we can't sell them, we should give them to the needy. Which is, of course, what you do with anything you grow tired of, is out of fashion, ugly, useless, and can't be turned into money. Anything you can't bear to have around but just can't think of a good way to get rid of. You give it to the needy. That is what idiot John said to the guy. I kicked him in the shin to shut him up. But the guy didn't seem to mind. It didn't even phase him. Well, he says, it might not seem, seem like it's no good to us, but the needy are different. They have less stuff, idiot John says, smiling. I was starting to think that he was going to get us into trouble. To deal with the problem, the elder board of the Department of Transportation and Safety instituted a program intended to distribute minivans to the needy, but it was a hassle because the minivans had no value. They weren't deductible. So people figured the needy would just take them if they really needed them. People would sign the titles, place them on the dashboard with the keys, and leave the minivans parked on the street or in the parking lots of the convenience centers. I couldn't really keep track of where he was driving us, but I figured it was somewhere around another side of the campus center mall church place. He backed up to a door and came around and let us out. The door opened as he indicated that we should go in first. Thank you, idiot, John said. The usher kept talking as, a, as he directed us through these fluorescent lit institutional tile covered hallways. These abandoned minivans were everywhere. It became such a public nuisance that no one who had a choice would be seen in a minivan because you were guilty by association. As if by driving one, you were somehow related to or responsible for all these abandoned minivans. You would hear people comment as they drove past a particularly large cluster of abandoned minivans. Why don't those people clean up their own mess? 
as if the person making the comment hadn't dumped a minivan or two somewhere. Anyway, the guy said, as he was locking us in this kind of holding room, that's why we have to hold you for a while, just to check things out. We usually don't have any minivans in the parking lot. We don't allow them, frankly. Someone might be trying to abandon it. Idiot John started up again. What if someone driving a minivan wants to come to church? The guy smiled and said, I'll just check some things out and be back. He leaves us in this holding room. I'm scared. Why would they put us in here? Why does a church even have a holding room? And this is where I got really scared. Because I look closer, and Idiot John is looking at me so strangely. Because Idiot John is not Idiot John anymore. He's someone else, a person I've never seen before. Then he tells me, not him, but the person that he's become, tells me, Jesus did not come into this world to bring peace, but a sword. Let's be clear about the context here. Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples and sending them out on a mission. He is telling them to go proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come. Who should hear the good news? Jesus says, don't go anywhere near those sinners, those Gentiles and Samaritans. Don't go around any neighborhoods where those other folks live. No, no, no. Go first to the house of Israel, to the insiders, to our folks. Jesus said, you have to go to our folks first and try to get them to understand. Folks tuned in from all around, near and far, just listen.